It's a beautiful sunny day a couple of summers ago in July when my riding buddy John and I decided to go ride to Mount Baker, a national park and a ski resort in Pacific Northwest. We set out early on Saturday morning, uh, driving out at you know, 6 a.m. and parked at a Costco parking lot near the U.S.-Canada border. And we hopped on our bikes with lots of anticipation and excitement, eager for the day ahead of us. We rode about 30, uh, 30 miles and we started hitting the climb of the mountain. And by that point, I realized I was underprepared. I was tired and sleepy. I had eaten all my you know, breakfast like three hours before and the granola bars that I brought with me were already finished. And about two miles from the summit, I realized I ran out of water. So as I arrived at the top, I was hungry, I was thirsty, and I was looking for any building that would be open. I was thinking, okay, get to the top, there'll be concession. But when I got there, nothing was open. Every building was locked because it's a winter-only operation. So as uh, you know, John and I arrived, we were hungry, we were tired, we were sleepy, we were grumpy. And finally, we found a little maintenance yard where the workers were, and we just grabbed some water from the washroom there and decided, took our obligatory uh, selfie photo at the summit, and then turned around and headed back down the mountain. We were lucky to find a coffee shop, but it was 15 miles away. And so, luckily, most of it was downhill, and then filled up and headed back, riding the rest of the 30 miles back to our car. It was a long day. We were tired. We were hungry. Our hungers remind us of what we really depend on. Our hungers re remind us of what we really need in life. We're in the middle of this uh, Future Life series where we're looking at the kind of life that Jesus came to bring us and how we experience this abundant life now. Today we're going to look at the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John where we learn to recognize this deep hunger for the life that we have in the living God. To provide some context into the text that Kim and Amy had just read for us, Jesus has been teaching in the countryside. He has fed more than 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And he's walked on water after this to meet his disciples who are rowing across the lake on their boat. And now these crowds have gathered and found him and they're asking him about this bread. And he tells them, here is this bread of life, and this bread of life that has come to us, and what it means to take and eat of this bread of life, offered by the living God. So today, we're going to walk through this text in three movements. First is hungry. Two, we'll work for food. Three, meal guarantee. Hungry, we'll work for food, and the meal guarantee. When was the last time that you have been really, really hungry? What did that feel like? For most of us, when we think of hunger, it, it, it's just a physical thing. It affects our stomachs, and our stomachs begin to growl, and if you get really tight, uh, uh, hungry, then it gets tight. But malnutrition and hunger affects many parts of our human experience. Hunger affects our minds, our ability to make decisions. It makes concentration difficult. When our blood sugars drop in our, or, or spike, this affects our quality of life. It can affect how we interact with others around us in our relationships. The way hunger works in our body is that when our stomachs are empty and it signals through this nerve between your stomach and your brain called the vagus nerve, 
and, our, and, and tells the brain that, okay, blood sugars are low, and so it's time to get some more food. We often think that hunger has only to do with the food in our stomach because that's where we feel the hunger, but it's often pointing to a need that runs through our entire body. Early in chapter 6, the disciples of Jesus recognize a need in their midst. They've been listening to Jesus teach in the countryside, and people are getting hungry. Now, there aren't any 7-Elevens close by. And even if there were, how do you feed 5,000 people in one go? So Jesus meets their need through this miraculous multiplication of five loaves and two fish. It's an all-you-can-eat fish and bread buffet, countryside cookout. They have so much that they have 12 huge basketfuls of doggy bags to take home. Now the crowds are excited. Not only does this teacher nourish them with compelling teaching, but he actually feeds them. And it's not lost on them that their ancestors, who were once in the wilderness, were provided by the living God with manna from heaven. They begin to see Jesus as literally their meal ticket the one who could meet their immediate needs, and they wanted a leader that they had in their image. But Jesus would have none of that. Despite their misplaced expectations, Jesus doesn't ignore their immediate needs. He provides for them in a generous and compassionate way. We live in a world that is hungry, hungry for many things. A group of us last week had an opportunity to head over to the Central Union Mission to serve some of our neighbors who are hungering for real food as they came for a meal at the mission. As we served them, we had a chance to chat with them, and some of them we found out are just like you and I, except hit hard times. Jonathan Liu, I don't think you're here with us today, but he was talking with someone at the table, and he realized, hey, I worked with you before at a restaurant here in D.C. But but because of tough things in his life, he was, you know, in the... in transition. Another man I chatted with, you know, he had a job downtown, he worked in Maryland, but his car broke down, so he's been choosing to live downtown and take advantage of the meals that are offered. Now the gentleman Les and I were talking to, he had gotten out of prison, getting, going through residential, um, uh, a residential program there at the mission, and he's learning to build a career in building maintenance, supported by the mission. These men were hungering for relationships. They're hungering for a safe and affordable place to live. They're hungering for access to education and to work. Their physical hunger that brought us together for for those 60 minutes revealed that we all share in the same hunger for security and for dignity. In John 6.26, when the people come to him, Jesus answers, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because... You ate your loaves and had your fill. In the scene, Jesus certainly provides for the needs of those he meets. We see that continuously throughout his ministry and the miracles he performs. But he doesn't just stay there. In the Gospel of John, miracles that Jesus performs are signs. When you look at a sign, the sign isn't the real thing, right? The sign just points to the real thing. We have all our needs Uh, We all have needs that we hope to be met. But those are just signs of this deeper hunger that Jesus invites us to consider in this passage. The crowds think that they are there looking to Jesus to fulfill their physical hunger, but he is inviting them to see beyond their immediate need. 
And as you consider those things in your life that you are immediately hungering for, perhaps it's a job, perhaps it's a relationship, perhaps a solution to a problem that you're facing, consider, I invite you, to to how the living God is at work in the midst of that. He just might be inviting you to see them as a sign of a deeper hunger for the living God and for the work of the living God in your life. So the crowds reconnect with Jesus after he feeds them and after he walks on water in verse 25. And Jesus responds to their search for him. He tells them, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God, that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. The crowds are curious now. Jesus invites them to work for food that endures to eternal life. They've seen him provide some food, some pretty good food, and a lot of it. But he's promising more, and they want in on it. So they ask him, what must we do to to do the works God requires? What do we got to do? Isn't that the way our world works? Carpe diem, seize the day. If there's an opportunity, you've got to jump in and take advantage of it. And so here the eager beavers step up and ask, what do I need to do to get this food? Sign me up. That's probably one of the differences that I've noticed here in D.C., but especially in America. It seems like you need to hustle to make it here. And those who hustle first get the breaks. Those who be the first to connect, be the first to get a lottery placement for your child, be the first to phone the doctor to get a new patient intake appointment for the day. Be the earliest to get your applications for grants. Be the first to get your resume in. When there's an opportunity, if you jump in on it, you do what you need to do, then you are rewarded. The more hungry you are, the more willing you are to work, you're going to get rewarded. This week, Julie and I had a chance to enjoy the Caps game uh, with Kevin and Melissa in our church here. When the Vancouver Canucks came in town, they asked us if we would like to join them to see the game. So I go out to the concession stand to order some fries, and as I'm waiting there for my fries to come, this customer walks up and all disgruntled, he throws down his his basket of cheeseburger and fries, and he's like, there's no bun in here. He's really rude about it, and then the, the, the concession workers are just like, hold on, sir, we'll get you a new one. And as they're making a new one, He's going around picking all the other baskets and checking those two and touching all the other food. And they're like, stop it, sir. Stop it, sir. And so I'm sitting here. He's like literally beside me working the counter. And I'm like, whoa, this guy's uh, really something. (laughs) And soon they come back with a newly made burger, fresh for him. And he takes it. He peels it. And then he throws it back down and says, I'm just going to take these chicken tenders. And he walks off. Meanwhile, you know, the, the... the workers are all talking to the supervisor. He just touched like three of the food. You can't do that. And then this guy behind me in line waiting to, to buy food, he goes, I'll take it. <laughs> and then they're like, sure, take it. And then he walks off. I'm like, darn, I missed the opportunity. I could have had a free meal. <laughs> Isn't that the way the world works? To the worthy go the spoils, to the bold. But is that the only way? The crowds come to Jesus asking what they need to do to take advantage of the opportunity before him. 
The question here is the wrong question because they misunderstand Jesus' prohibition when he says, don't work for food that spoils. Their minds and their bellies are focused on how to get more food that Jesus had already given. So they're looking at what they have to do to get more of the same. But the focus of Jesus' prohibition isn't the kind of work that you need to do for the food he offers. He's talking about the nature of the food that they're hungering for. He's saying to them, what's really going to satisfy you? What's at the end of all your efforts? Is that kind of food going to be really worth the effort you're going to put in? Is the time and resource you're putting into going to lead to this flourishing and full life for you and for those around you? That's the question that Jesus asks the crowd before him, but it's also a question that he asks each one of us today. What are you working for? Where do you put your time and money and effort? Is it really going to satisfy your deepest hunger? You can work and you can hustle as hard as anybody, but the kind of food, what kind of food do you get at the end of all of your efforts? Will it really last? Jesus responds to the crowds. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. That's the only work required by God for the kind of food that he offers. It's to believe in Jesus. Verse 32 and 33, Jesus continues on. He tells them, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What Jesus offers doesn't depend on what you do and how well you do it. It's simply a gift extended to you. It doesn't depend on your work. And that kind of satisfying food that Jesus offers doesn't depend on you catching the right series of opportunities in life. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for years or you're here checking out what it means to follow Jesus, we might find ourselves asking, what do I need to do to be satisfied in life? In the text here, Jesus reminds us that that's the wrong question. It's not what you need to do. It's what kind of life do you believe will give you lasting satisfaction and contentment? Will you receive the life that he offers? Will you truly trust Jesus as the one who satisfies? Or will you keep defaulting to the work you need to do to go on to have a happy life? The hungers that you have in your life, whether they're physical or emotional or social, they all point to this deep hunger that we have for life, the life that God gifts to us. Jesus promises us that this is bread from heaven and gives life to the world. This bread, this true food, gives life to you and I. And the work we do for this food is simply to believe that Jesus is the one sent by the living God. We've been visiting a number of schools here in, high schools here in D.C. in preparation for the high school lottery for Evan, our son. We discovered that our neighborhood school, Eastern High, is considered a Title I school, which means that it receives federal funds for a free breakfast and free lunch for its students. Because many of the students come from low-income homes, this program is designed to support, uh, as a support to guarantee meals for these students. 
And studies have shown that childhood malnutrition can cause uh, reduced intelligence, increased anxiety and psych psychiatric issues and cognitive impairment in the long term. So this meal guarantee provides security and assurance that one of our most vulnerable populations isn't handicapped in the long run for something that they cannot control. There's something about a guarantee that gives us confidence. You don't have to worry when you can depend on the guarantee. You don't have to wonder if you made the right decisions or if you worked hard enough or if you were born into the right family. As Jesus continues, he introduces and repeats the statement, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Three times through the rest of this chapter. He suggests that this is the kind of food that really satisfies. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever come, believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This is verse 35 to 39. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Now that's a guarantee. Jesus gives a meal guarantee. You eat this bread, this is what you get. Eat this bread of life, believe in me, and never be hungry, never be thirsty, never be driven away, and never be lost. These are incredible comforts and assurances. In our hunger, Jesus promises eternal life. And we can experience that eternal life now, not just after we die. And that changes how we live today. Here at WCF, one of the things I'm proud of is how, often, uh, how we often set up meal trains for, those, for people here in transition. When people go through surgery or when people have new babies, you know, we jump in as a community, like a family, to prepare meals for one another. And for the recipient, this frees them up from worry about their next meal. There's a sense of freedom that you can live with. Now, I want you to imagine if you had a meal train for the rest of your life. Imagine you never had to think about another meal. You never had to go grocery shopping. You simply would be fed with a healthy diet. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's an amen, right? But how would that change the way you live if you didn't have to think about those things? We'd be less anxious. We'd have more time freed up. We could focus on things that bring life to us and to those around us. This is the kind of full and confident life that Jesus is inviting us to when we believe in him. To believe in Jesus isn't just to simply assent to some doctrinal truths, but it's to put all of our weight upon him and upon his promises. To trust in Jesus is to consider how he is leading the way in our lives and in the world around us. There's a flip side to this. Whenever we experience anxiety in our lives, these are opportunities to consider ways that we are doubting Jesus. When we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances, or when we feel like our government or our society is impossibly broken and those entrusted to serve people are actually taking advantage for their own selfish reasons, these are opportunities to ask ourselves what we really believe about Jesus. Do we really believe that he has everything under his control? Do we really believe that he's going to set things right? 
Do we really believe that the injustice and abuse that we see doesn't escape his attention? When we really eat the bread of life, when we truly believe that Jesus is the living God of the universe who can feed 5,000, who can walk on water, who can make us whole again, who can rise from the grave, then we can also believe that he deeply cares about our lives and about this broken world that we live in. That's why he came to ancient Palestine 2,000 years ago, to show us what this future life looks like when it becomes present before us. And he continues to show up in our lives now, if we are open to seeing him. Whether we are hungering for comfort in our own lives or hungering for justice in our world, Jesus invites us to trust him and to follow him in this future life to be experienced and lived now. Respected commentator on the Gospel of John, Dale Bruner, says this, When we live with Jesus in this mutually trusting relationship, we are, in fact, by the work of God himself, doing the will and work of God. We enter into a right relation with God. We do the will of God. We worship God. In short, we enter into the life intended by God for human beings by trusting the Son. We enter into this life intended by God for human beings, for you and for me, by trusting the Son. As Julie and I were enjoying the Caps game this week with Kevin and Melissa, Melissa asked me a question. She says, what kind of hobbies do you enjoy? Well, besides cycling, I told her how I enjoy problem solving and fixing things because I'm curious about how things work and I'd like to find out what's wrong with them. Also, I don't like to spend more money than I have to. So I'd rather much buy a tool and learn how to fix something than to pay someone else to do it. Often this works out well, but often it doesn't. Like the time I decided to fix the timing belt on our family car, our only family car, while the, the, the family was away on vacation. And I was working all night to put it back together because they were coming back the next morning from the airport. And I threw everything back together and I drove to the airport and I was going, something doesn't feel right. This doesn't sound good. I picked them up from the airport and started driving back. And as they were going over the bridge, the car goes, Pip, and it just dies. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be expensive. Costly lessons. Other times, like most recently, I've learned how to fix iPhone screens because my family keeps breaking them. So instead of paying someone else to do it, I found it's much cheaper to buy it off Amazon for $15 and do it yourself. And last week, I just ordered a piano tuning kit because I need to tune our piano. And I said, well, this is an opportunity to learn. I know how to tune a violin. I know how to tune a guitar. Piano just has like 50 times more strings, that's all. How hard can it be? It's my desire to solve problems but sometimes this desire to solve problems can be a problem because it reflects this confidence and self-reliance rather than trusting God and trusting people around me. I can get proud of that or I can be anxious that I can't figure out problems. I forget that the living God cares for me way more than I care about myself. I forget that he holds me fast because of his great love for me and the world that I lo- live in. When I'm trying to solve my problems by my own efforts and ingenuity, I'm distracting myself from the kind of life that Jesus is inviting me to enjoy in him. Jesus comes to feed our deep hunger for connection with the living God. 
And the gift of Jesus as the bread of life is that we don't have to jump through certain hoops to satisfy this hunger for God. All we do is simply receive and believe who Jesus is and who he, what he has come to do for us and what he's come to do in this world that we live in. As we put our trust in him, we begin to experience this future life, this eternal life promised by Jesus now. As we close the message today and move into a time of confession and assurance, we're going to reflect on these words of the song that we just heard sung at the offering time. He will hold me fast. And I invite you to allow this time to consider areas where you might not believe Jesus fully for who he says he is. Where anxiety, where uh, distress can overcome because you're doubting that Jesus is really good, that Jesus really cares. As you think about those areas, we're going to allow the music to play and you can just confess that before Jesus, simply in your hearts. And then we're going to sing the song as the assurance that God has done the work for us and he cares about us and he loves us. Allow the truth of God's gift to you in Christ release you to trust him more. Amen.